there, pretties. It's Chrissy. And it's Heather. And a really sweet guy with a deep voice to give you a... Uh, oh, yes. Just a quick warning. Yes, the Chrissy and Heather show contains elements of real life, nostalgia, silliness, deep thinking, and nonsense. If you're averse to any of these ingredients, the Chrissy and Heather show may not be for you. So talk to your doctor and all your friends about this program. Let's get into it. Uh, it's my topic week, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a choice, Heather. Okay. Uh, I can only choose between two things. Uh, good. I'm only going to give you two choices. Okay. Isn't that perfect? We can either talk about The Great British Baking Show, Ooh. which you and I both love with all of our hearts. <laughs> I think that. Okay, great. So we're going to talk about The Great British Baking Show. That's that's fantastic. So for you people at home, if you don't watch The Great British Baking Show, A, you're missing out in a big way. You get on your Netflix and start watching it yeah. immediately, please. Do it because it's fantastic. You'll love it. But what I want to start with for our conversation is this article that I read the other day. Mm-hmm. We can try to put a link up to it. Okay. So look on the social media and we'll put a link up. Um, but it was an article about the camaraderie on this show mm-hmm. and the way that they support one another. They are competitors. They are absolutely against each other and they are absolutely gutted <laughs> when one of them has to go home. Um, they, they miss each other. Uh, the episode a week ago, they wore ties mm-hmm, in honor Henry. Of, of Henry. Yeah, and it, w- it was so beautiful. They treat each other so well. And the article I read was talking about what if this was an American show? Like how cutthroat it would perhaps be and how nasty we may treat each other. And maybe us Americans are watching it because we're looking for a little bit of civility and kindness oh my gosh yeah i think about that often when i watch the show that i'm sure that there is an american version i just don't know about it because i don't seek it out Mm -hmm. but um i also love the camaraderie and the support and you're just the way that they're so kind to each other and and they compliment each other and they're competing and you can tell that they are sizing each other up and you know definitely want to to win you know the technical challenge and they want to feel like they're you know on top of the pack um but they also do seem genuinely nervous at the end about who's going to go home and mm-hmm. and then you know genuine there's always like survivor's guilt of the person who thought it was going to be them and right. and then they feel bad and but you know it reminded me of years and years ago uh, did you ever watch Big Brother? Not often, but I I know the concept. I watched it for a couple of seasons, and there was one season. It was at the beginning when the contestants got down to like five, maybe four or five, and I remember the host, like the there was the woman who would be like the outside of the house, and she would be the commentator of of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember her kind of baiting them to try to create drama. And mean. Yeah. The people. So so American. So American. And the people in the house banded together. And they had. Now, there may be some big brother experts out there, like my sister, who could (laughs) do some research and tell me that I imagined this and this didn't actually happen. But this is what I remember happening that they had like a house meeting and they talked about how they could work together and split the cash prize and that they were not going to sell each other. They're crafty. Yeah. And they were entrepreneurs. 
they weren't going to sell each other out, mm-hmm. you know, for for the money. Now, ultimately, there was one winner. But I remember my heart being warmed by that and thinking, first of all, go you for tripping up the networks on their scheme to create yeah. good TV by pitting each other against each other. Mm-hmm. Well, why do we like to watch that? We like to watch people hate each other. Why are these horrible, desperate, not desperate housewives, housewives of Atlanta and mm-hmm. whatnot? Why? Why? I I, I don't Why know. do we like to watch each other fail so much? On that great British baking show, not only do they seem to genuinely root for each other, they actually get in there and help each other. Yeah. So if someone's late on their bake and they're not going to be able to put something out, people who are done run over mm-hmm. and add frosting. You know, I mean, like, it's just a very different television concept, you know, um, that's really appealing. It's appealing think? to me, too. Mm-hmm. It totally is. And I think it's one of the things that in now I'm guilty of saying in America, in this general form, you know, I not everybody can yeah. be painted with the same brush. Mm-hmm. But I do see this trend of what we say we want to be like and then what we really are like, especially with women, mm-hmm. where we talk about how women need to have each other's backs and we need to you know, not be competing with each other. We're all on the same team. We should be trying to help each other. But then we don't actually do do it most of the time yeah but they're demonstrating that on on you know they are demonstrating through those actions what we're saying we want to do and maybe right. that's why we watch it because and maybe that is maybe that's that. why we like it so in the last episode um what did you think about that final challenge um okay what was the last episode? oh the last, with the boxes yes. oh my god they were beautiful they were amazing i didn't and even glorious. know that you could do that right you guys, if you're not watching this show, get out there and watch it. Let's pivot a little bit away okay. from the Great British Baking Show, but let's keep talking about food. Okay. Let's talk about crap your parents made you eat or <laughs> foods, foods that were popular in your home when you were a kid. Anything oh. weird? I ate weird food. Okay, like what? <laughs> my mom made one. Uh, my dad called it slop. Mm, sounds delicious. <laughs> delicious. Delicious. <laughs> slop was the worst concoction that you can imagine. So you take a big bowl, like a big glass bowl, Mm -hmm. and you fill it with mashed potatoes. And the mashed potatoes have a large divot in the middle, like a big, like it's, you know, like a... Like a bowl? Yes. You you replicate the shape of the bowl with the mashed potatoes so that you have a central location (laughs) where you add your tomato soup... Ew. Ground beef. I already hate this. <laughs> and green beans. What? <laughs> Wait, tomato soup? Like, like tomato, tomato soup? soup, like undiluted tomato soup from a can. Like Campbell's, like you open a can and you toss it in and you mix it up with your, um, oh my God, I'm crying tears, like thinking about this. Uh, you mix it up with your hamburger meat and then you uh, add green beans and you, or you top it with green beans. Was did she see? Can this? you think of the textures involved here? I'm trying to imagine where this idea came from. Was it like I a have no house? idea? Exactly. <laughs> I think my only guess is that it came from my mom grew up in a house where my grandpa was a pastor, mm-hmm. my grandma was like the church piano player, whatever, and they had five children. Oh. 
So they're, I, I guess it's just poor people food. Right. <laughs> it's just, this is, I guess apparently it's just poor people food. What even happens when you pour tomato soup inside on of a mashed potato potatoes? bowl? Let's just talk about the potatoes and tomato don't go together. Those aren't friends in the first place. No, it's because all, it looks very like a big one bowl of blood. It's horrible. It is horrible. Wow. That's the worst thing that she made by far the worst thing. But wow. there were others. There were others. I remember, well, I remember having a traumatic experience that my parents thought, and now, okay, so my parents thought that this was a totally reasonable meal, and now I would totally eat this, but as a child, it was torture. It was like child abuse, and it was stuffed peppers. Oh. My mom made stuffed peppers, and I remember it being a green pepper, a green bell pepper, Mm -hmm. and it was like hollowed out and then it had rice mm-hmm. and ground beef like spanish rice right mm-hmm. yeah um mixed up but, but our parents would have made it with white rice instead of yes, yellow it was rice. white rice yeah, it's horrible and yeah. ground beef i had that and one probably too. other stuff too and it was in the pepper and then she baked it and now like i mean i don't eat meat anymore but i would totally eat a bell pepper stuffed with rice and other things mm-hmm. especially like beans that would be perfect but as a however many years old child 10 years old i couldn't believe this and and i remember trying to make it more palatable by adding ketchup mm-hmm. and my i remember distinctly my dad looking at me like you just screwed that up so bad <laughs> now now you have to eat it yeah and we had a giant fish tank an aquarium in oh, our dining no and I remember my dad what saying that I had to sit at the table, even this is how young I was. This was this is the time of night that was a humongous stretch of my imagination. <laughs> nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Even if I had to sit there till nine o'clock, wow. I was going to eat that. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the fish tank and wondering if I could balance the pepper on my fork in such a way that I could like do a catapult type thing and like slam down and have it fly into mm-hmm. the fish tank. Like somehow that would be better. Like all my problems would be solved. Yeah, <laughs> it would be in the fish tank. Yeah, and then it's over. The wow. Fish, the fish would love this meal. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that's a that's special. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, another one that we ate at my house. We had a lot of concoctions, a okay. lot of things put together. Um, the girls from college would remember this. I used to make this in college because this is a meal that I learned how to create. Okay, um, is macaroni and cheese standard base? We're cool so far. That we used a lot of condensed soups. I think you're about to describe the meal I was just going to tell you about. Keep going. <laughs> so you mix like some cream of mushroom soup with it. And then you add other things. Um, we would add maybe a can of peas, maybe some cut up hot dogs, or a can of tuna. Yes, uh, Heather is is nodding vigorously. Yeah, that was a that was one that happened. I liked that one a lot. I, I liked it enough to teach it to my college friends who were not as impressed as I was. And then I got older and grew up, and you meet other people and you figure out. Whatever your parents tell you is normal is what children think is normal. So right. whatever you guys are doing out there with your kids, they think it's normal. Don't worry. <laughs> but they're going to find out at some point what a weirdo you are. My, so. my eight-year-old, I, my eight-year-old thinks that bananas 
should be cold. He only wants a cold banana. They get brown if you get them cold. Well, I I put them in the refrigerator because we had fruit flies in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I would always wanted to have fruit out in the kitchen because I just felt like a good mom has fruit out in the kitchen. So I had a bowl sure, healthy snack of fruit. <laughs> but then we had these fruit flies. And so they would be flying around and drove me crazy. And so I just put everything in the fridge. Like there was no food out. Everything was in the fridge. And so that was during like, you know, when he was like one and two years old and just starting to eat solid food. And so every time he had a banana, it was cold. And now if he has a banana that's room temperature, he's like, this is weird. And he thinks bananas should always be cold. My kids were like that with chocolate milk for a long time. Chocolate milk was supposed to be hot. Like oh, if it wasn't chocolate. hot, it, you you couldn't drink it. And milk had to be chocolate. There was like white milk. I don't know if my kids know that it comes out of a cow that without chocolate involved, you know. So <laughs> for a long time, they like they went through a period of about five years where they just didn't drink chocolate milk anymore because I refused to heat it up for them anymore. I just got tired of always warming it and they just quit now they're back on it occasionally Hmm. Mm -hmm. well i definitely made tuna noodle casserole by the way that's what that's called with the macaroni and cheese see i'm not saying just regular like macaroni and cheese craft macaroni and cheese yes Mm -hmm. and a can of cream of mushroom soup Mm -hmm. and a, a can i didn't go crazy with the hot dogs i just put the tuna fish the tuna sometimes chopped up celery never chopped up celery for us but my home growing up didn't have vegetables per se like if it didn't come out of a can like Mm -hmm. canned peas yeah you know like or like my parents did grow a garden but we never wanted this stuff out of their garden it wasn't right for some reason to us like i don't know like it was just a we didn't have a lot of vegetable situation happening in our house I don't remember whether there were vegetables. My, my dad was always a vegetarian, mm. but and so he ate a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember there being vegetables that weren't mixed into something else. The other thing that we didn't have in our house growing up was water. We did really? not drink any water. No, we had well water. So our water was gross, mm. right? Our water was nasty. And there was like a filtration system and whatnot. But you still really couldn't drink that water. And my parents didn't buy bottled water. I don't even know when bottled water became a big craze, probably later after I was a kid, you know. Um, So we never drank water. Like until I got to college, did I really drink water? What did you drink? Milk, soda, whatever, anything but water. Hmm. No water, which is so crazy to me now because I drink so much water and it's the it's. It's by far what I drink the most of, you know? We always Coffee's drink a close water. second right now. But. Oh, my gosh. My my eight-year-old was um, saying the other day that he wanted to make me um, a fancy breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then he said, so what do you drink besides coffee and wine? <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess I need well, to drink more water. <laughs> guess I need to let them see me drink water occasionally. So other than cold bananas, is there anything that you make your kids eat that you think they're going to grow up and be like, yeah, my mom served this thing. Oh, gosh. You know, I go back and forth on making my kids eat stuff. I have things that I won't buy. Like, I don't buy 
what I consider to be total junk, mm-hmm. like, you know, to have at the house. You only buy bean Cheetos. You t- right? told us last time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not to say that they never eat that stuff, but just I don't provide it for them. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So um, I would say that you're that person who your children are like, I'm going to go to my friend's house just so that I can get, you know, a, I a wa- Snickers bar. I don't want that to happen, <laughs> but I know that I did that when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, like my mom would not buy us sugary cereal and um, we wouldn't didn't have sodas and we didn't have Kool-Aid. Um, and I always would try to like when I went to college, I ate Cocoa Puffs for like two semesters. Oh, yeah, because I could. <laughs> and, you know, the pendulum swings back and you mm-hmm. go back to what you you know, what what is what you're what you what you feel is right for you. But I don't know that I make my kids eat anything in particular, but I definitely have a hard lines of what I will not buy for them. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My kids, I don't cook very much either. Yeah. I really don't cook. Um, I firmly blame the Wendy's that they built in my neighborhood on (laughs) the extra weight on my waist right now. Like I probably weigh 10 pounds more than I would like to. And I blame the um, junior bacon cheeseburger 100% for that. (laughs) It's the cheeseburger's fault? It's the cheeseburger's fault. It's the access to the cheeseburger's fault. That's what it is. I have eaten more junior bacon cheeseburgers since they opened that damn Wendy's in my neighborhood than in my entire life prior. Like, definitely. So, So there's that. But I don't really, I don't know. My kids, I will say they, since I don't cook... They eat a lot of raw, unprocessed foods. You know, mm-hmm. they they eat a lot of carrots or you know, like a meal for them is I put out a plate and I grab a handful of several different vegetables and, you know, maybe some chicken if I've got it, you know, uh, for my son and I hand it to them. Oh, my so. gosh. I was so um, impressed, impressed or jealous. I can't tell. I can't decide what the emotion was when I saw that you had posted a picture of your kid's plate and there was food on it that my kids would never eat. I think they were like a pork chop. Oh, a pork chop. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised he ate that pork chop. I think that was his first pork chop. Yeah. I don't cook either. And I was telling my mom that, you know, that's something that I feel really guilty about. I have a friend who's a chef who made fun of that pork chop on my post. He's like, what the hell happened to that pork chop? And I'm like, Shut the hell up. Like, mean. I tried to cook something. I, Don't shame me. I would love <laughs> Justin. to Justin. There's... <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but... Justin. I would love it for my boys to come home from wherever they go after they live with me and be, like, nostalgic for home and come home and say, oh, mom, I, you know, please make your fill-in-the-blank. You know, mm-hmm. that would just make me so happy. But I think it, right now it would be like, make me like a bowl of cereal. Mine would be like, drive us to Wendy's. <laughs> Are we losing that in our culture? Like, you know, where I know that I have memories of food at my house growing up that I associate with home. And I wonder if my kids' memories are going to be like all the places mom took us to eat. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. I always say that, like, for my kids, I have just a small number of goals, just a limited number of things that I want to do that will make me consider myself a good mom. Yeah. I want them to be 
curious travelers. I want mm-hmm. them to want to see new places and experience new things. And part of that is to try new foods and to, you know, check out different cultures in depth. You know, I want them to do that. I want them to love music. I would love for them to love reading. You know? Oh, that's and, where we are right now. Yeah. And my, my, I'm, I'm not winning that battle necessarily. I'm not winning the diverse foods. I'm not winning the reading right now, but I'm winning on a lot of fronts. You know, I just have just a handful of things that really matter. Hey, speaking of food in other countries, um, let's talk about the quality of our food here. Mm. <laughs> you just added three hours right. to this episode. <laughs> so my sisters and I had a vigorous conversation recently where I went on a diatribe about how America is supposed to be the greatest country in the world, but this is just leftover real estate that nobody wanted that we found later and we moved on to. And our soil has not been cultivated over, you know, centuries and centuries to grow the best food and do the best things. And we're just trying to plant food here and see what happens. And we're not really good at it. <laughs> like when you go other places, when I am in Spain, my egg yolks are like, mm. they're glorious. I mean, like, it's just the most fresh, the most, you know, and, you know, when you're like, my kids and I went to Italy and they gave us, you know, a lesson on, do you know why we grow so much here around Mount Vesuvius? The risk of the, you know, of the volcano erupting, yes, is present, but you know what? We produce more of the olives here, you know, in this beautiful fertile soil, you know, from all the ash and all the, you know, all the, you know, years and years of cultivation. They're like, we, you know, we grow the nicest produce here in a high risk environment. Yeah. Uh huh. Hmm. Well, I definitely get frustrated about the quality of the food that is available across socioeconomic barriers. And that's a great point. That's something that if I had unlimited resources that I would could see myself dedicating a lot of time to, Um, because I think it's easy for for those of us who can go to the store and buy, you know, whatever we need to to assume that everybody has access. Um, But in, in some of the work that I do with helping people manage their health, going into rural areas and, you know, even, you know, just 30 miles from where we are, you know, going some places in town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where they don't have access to a grocery store that carries a variety of products. Like, that I would even consider buying. Right. And that's mm-hmm. their only choice. And that humbles me and kind of checks me. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me really angry because I feel like everybody deserves access to healthy food. I I mean, joke, but it's really not funny that when I go up around where I grew up, I always joke, I got to go look for the produce section. Because like even the grocery stores aren't laid out the same. It's like a little mystery to find the produce section. And I have photographs that are funny and not funny at all of walking into the produce area and finding a shelf cleared that should be like for grapes and they've put candy on it, you know, Um, (laughs) being like, wow, you know, and then we wonder, you know, 
Like, look what look what we're feeding people. Well, you know, you know I come from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very food centric culture where everything is about the decadence of your meal and rich, um, creamy sauces and fried everything. And then you know, a really um, great restaurant scene where the food is is oh, I love high New quality, mm-hmm. but then also where it's very rich food that it's really difficult to eat healthfully there. And when I moved to Florida, I was able to distance myself from some of that bad habits that I created um, related to food. And I started eating a different type of diet and I became a lot more um, picky and mm-hmm. a lot more um, particular about how I ate for various reasons. And I started to lose confidence that I was going to find food that was I felt was suitable when I went to other states. And I started carrying my own food with me. Like I would go to the store and I would buy what I knew I wanted, the quality of food that I wanted, huh. because I didn't have confidence that I would be able to find it in just any place that I went. Interesting. Because when I went to a grocery store in my hometown in Louisiana, I couldn't find the yogurt that I wanted or the coffee creamer that I wanted. And I felt like, have I gone into food snob category where I show up with my own bag of food because your food's not good enough? But then I also feel like, well, it's not. Yeah. And everybody should have access to good food. And it pains me when I see people having to eat food that I know is going to destroy their body. Yeah. Even here in town last week, I, uh, I hate the Walmart. Okay. I hate it. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Walmart. Walmart's not going to sponsor us either. Man, we're really, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing a number. Uh, sponsors yeah. Right Damn it. Um, Publix, we like you. Do you like us? <laughs> um, I like a specific, you said coffee creamer, mm-hmm. and I, I do the non-dairy coconut mm-hmm. milk, you know, whatever. And I was at Walmart. I had to be there f- to pick something up. And I'm like, oh, it is so cheap. I mean, let's give them big ups on their cheapness. So I'm like, I'm going to go back and grab my coffee creamer. And the only coffee creamers available at Walmart were regular milk-based stuff or the things that there's nothing real in them at all. It's just flavored like a peppermint stick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's nothing real there. There weren't, I didn't see coconut. I didn't see almond. I didn't, you know, and heck maybe I missed it. Maybe Walmart count us in. We're, we're good. Um, but I didn't, I didn't see anything that looked like an alternative that I would consider, you know, like without a sweetener in it, without a, right. you know, whatever. I, I didn't see anything. And I, know. I thought that was interesting. Like the stores are what a mile and a half apart, you know, and you can't get the same quality options. Well, I guess if people were buying it, they would order it. That makes you sense. Know, if there's yeah. a, de- of a mm-hmm. demand and enough people you know, haven't asked for it or they're willing to go to another store to get it. Yeah. And, you know, they're not going to order inventory that isn't going to sell. So until there's enough people who want to buy it at Walmart, you know, they'll just let you go to Publix. Let's. So we've kind of talked about other countries a little bit. Let's talk about. Have you traveled outside the U.S.? Not really. Not really. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, um, I'm sure you've heard a lot about 
people eating like a local, you know, doing, oh, yeah. doing all the all those kind of things. How do you feel about people who go and they just want like their cheeseburger or their McDonald's or their whatever and they're somewhere really cool? Like I guess even within the United States, you know, do you feel like you need to eat what's popular in the local place just because you're there or is it cool to just do what you like? You know, that's really that topic hits me on a couple of different levels on okay so what i want my answer to be is (laughs) eat local eat what the locals eat um because i think that there's a lot of value to that and there's a lot of richness in the culture and uh, you know most places have some type of food that they are really proud of or that they're known for Mm -hmm. and i think that you know when especially if you're traveling overseas that that's part of the experience, you know, and when I have clients that are traveling and, and they've been working on changing their diet or, or something, um, and then they seem to have some type of perception like they should stay on their air quote diet while they're traveling. Mm-hmm. I disagree. I, I say, you know, experience all parts of the culture that you want to experience. Now, at the same time, that's what I want my answer to be. And that's what my answer is for other people. But I know that I really, you know, I eat a vegan diet. That's a preference. I'm not allergic to anything. Nothing bad is going to happen to me if I don't eat a vegan diet. But I choose to eat that way. And it does get in the way of embracing food culture. And so I think... I really like when I find something in another place that feels, I want to use the word safe, mm-hmm. um, because I feel comfortable there. I feel comfortable with the, the few things that I know work really well for my body, mm-hmm. and I don't typically venture out from it, even though I value the, the process of doing that. So I had a really, um, you don't know this, I don't believe, and I know that our listeners don't know yet, but I actually had um, gastric sleeve surgery mm-hmm. several years yeah, ago. Yeah, I knew that. You, you told me that. that. Yeah. yeah. So um, it changed, it really more than it changed um, how I eat and what I eat, it changed my brain chemistry. I know it absolutely 100% did. I don't get hungry and I don't. I don't ever crave anything, you know, like there's nothing that, like it, I just food doesn't isn't the same to me that, that it once was. Food is just a tool that I need every day to survive. And I like, you know, a great restaurant experience. I like I like all of those things. But I know with certainty that whatever they serve me, I'm not going to eat it all. Mm-hmm. And I very rarely like take a bag with me. Like I, I, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, you know, I don't let them box it up or whatever because I, I'm not going to eat it later. I'm just not. Um, but it really changed how I view like my meal, how I view what's in front of me, and that whole waste thing. So when I was a kid, we, it was clean plate club, and mm-hmm. clean plate club was important, and you're, that's what you're supposed to do. And now I'm very much like take the best bite first. You know, like I grew up in a take the save the best bite for last you know like you want you want that one to be the last one but now it's no you absolutely eat the eat the best bite first because you're going to run out of room you're going to not be able to you're not eating this whole plate of stuff like you you are 100% not going to eat all of this so eat the parts that you want first you know mm-hmm. and 
now I start with the protein and then I go to the vegetable. And if there's any room left for a carb, then I would eat that, you know, but and what's appealing to me is even different. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just a very different like my relationship with food changed so completely and it like it was a tool that was necessary for me to be able to manage those things but it was definitely a a, a chemical brain change you know I remember when I had the same transition and I think that's why it's easy for me to not eat locally and to stick with what I comfortable with right because I had to sever my relationship with food right when we were no longer in a healthy relationship right yeah and it's kind of like you know you could not drink alcohol for the rest of your life and you could not smoke cigarettes for the rest of your life but you have to eat Mm -hmm. like at least five times a day if you're active Mm -hmm. and so you're facing that every day. And if it's something that is emotionally draining for you, then, you know, you just have a certain amount of of um, resilience. And so I could see how it's very easy to create a small category of food that you eat, that you choose mm-hmm. from, and you just stick with that because it's easier. Yeah. And when food becomes less interesting, it, that's even easier still. You right. know, when you're like, well, you know, like... I'm interested in trying what's new in the country that I'm in. And I, I find the food quality is very different, you know, but I I also, I don't look at food as like the joy of my day anymore. Right. Like, and I don't know as I ever necessarily did, you know, but I don't look, I certainly don't now, you know, I don't look at it and be like, I don't plan my day around what I'm going to eat. I just, I eat because I need to survive. You know? I used to. And I try now to have a balance um, and it, and it, you know, and it, it changes and ebbs and flows, you know, throughout different times of the year. We're, we're getting into the holidays soon. It's about to be a very nostalgic and sentimental time for food. And, um, you know, we're going to start convincing ourselves that this is the only time of the year that we can eat these certain things. And so there's a sense of urgency around them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I try to stay in the seat of awareness about how I feel about the food that I'm eating. I really resonated with what you said about taking the best bite first. Mm-hmm. I definitely used to save the best bite for last. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people do. When I started really being in tune with my hunger signals, I switched that. And I would start with the best because I knew that there was a, a, a an end to my hunger. Right. And instead of clean plate club where you just eat until it's gone, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was checking in more often and, and stopping when I was not hungry anymore. And I, if there was something, if the, if the perfect bite was still on the table, then I was sad. Right, exactly. <laughs> Start with I the think good stuff. It takes us right back. Almost, almost every episode, we come to a point where we talk about the pendulum swing. Yeah. You know? And the, all the way from one side back to the other side, all the way from one side back to the other, and finding that balance in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something with food that we're doing every day. Mm-hmm. So I want our listeners to go on uh, our webpage, go to Facebook and tell us, tell us uh, what foods trigger you, what foods uh, bring you pleasure and joy that maybe are just a nostalgia thing and not necessarily a, a part of 
healthy living day to day and um, how you how you manage those things. I think that's a that's a fun conversation. And, and tell us the weird stuff that your parents <laughs> made for you. I, de- I want that more. I want that even more. Don't tell us the don't tell us your healthy your healthy options. Tell us the weird stuff that your parents made like hot dogs and uh, tuna fish mixed into macaroni and cheese. I know that when I was a kid, when my parents were going out on a date and we had a babysitter, we could have hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. Gross. <laughs> and we were excited. And it, like to me right now, that just sounds absolutely vile. That's the grossest. But I remember a time when that would have been, oh yeah, that would have been a pretty cool thing. All right. Well, until next time, guys, listen in again. We'll have something else fun for you. And we love you guys. Go on our social media, say hello, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Deep voice guy, how'd we do? I think you ladies did absolutely fabulous. And for those of you looking to increase your dosage, make sure to connect with The Chrissy and Heather Show on Facebook and Instagram.